This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn in your Bible there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one uh, there in a chair close within your reach underneath the blue chairs in the back of some of the green ones. And if you're using that Bible and you don't know where Matthew 28 is, uh, page 919, 918, excuse me, page 918. And we're going to read a passage of scripture that we've been reading uh, every Sunday in this series that we started two weeks ago. Today's the third Sunday in the series, Embrace Your Calling. And, um, you know, Jesus started with the original apostles and he gave this commission, we call it the Great Commission. He gave this commission to them and he wanted them to, uh, he said, here's, here's the battle plan. Here's the direction. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to, what I want you to do because I'm going to be gone, which he, he left uh, a few days later, he ascended to heaven and he gave them this great commission. Uh, Read it with me. I'm going to read it and you just follow along beginning in verse 19. He said to them, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You might in your Bible circle the word all. He did not want anybody to be left out. This whole world, Jesus told Nicodemus, God loved it. And I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he shares this with them. And then just a few days later, he ascends to heaven and he says, you're to to go and and to evangelize in this world and, and then take these new believers who trust in Jesus and trust in me as their savior and baptize them as you saw this morning, baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them, teach them. Um, next Sunday, we're going to look at the content of the teaching. What, are, what were they and what are we to teach those disciples? And we're going to spend some time with that. I, I want you to be back next Sunday because I promise next Sunday you're going to be challenged. I'm already challenged as I'm thinking about and preparing for that, that message. Uh, but today we're just going to unpack why teaching is so important, teaching them. Why is that so important to the life and growth of disciples? And actually, it's a no-brainer. If you think about it, if you've been here the last few Sundays, you know that the word disciple means learner. If I'm going to be a learner, I must have some kind of instruction. There must be somebody who is teaching me, instructing me. It's very close, the word learner is, to the word student, isn't it? But they're not the same. They're not the same. Learner and student are not really the same. Maybe you were like me and uh, when you were in school and when it came to certain subjects, you might have been a student, but you weren't much of a learner. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, when the report card came home, you might have been, you might have perfect attendance, but when your parents looked at the report card, they looked and said, didn't learn much, did you? You know, and you know how we do as parents, we, um, and, and as grandparents, sometimes I pick my grandkids up from school and, and I'll say to them, what'd you learn in school today? What did you learn in school today? And it's the, the silence, you know? 
You didn't learn anything? What a waste of time we are sending you to school if you're not learning anything. You can be a student and not learn a thing. Uh, for me, it was any kind of math. I was not a learner. It didn't matter what. If it went past the basics of adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing, I was okay with that. But once we got into decimals, once we got into things like we weren't using numbers anymore, we were using X's and Y's, I thought, well, I don't, please help me out here. And there was never any help for me, by the way. I never, you know, I went to class every day, but a learner? No. Student? Yes. Learner? No. Being a student doesn't mean you've learned a thing. And just because you're here today, let's not assume that your presence means you're going to learn anything. Even though you might hear every word that's said doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to learn. But for learning to take place, there must be teaching going on. And so God, God recognizes the influence that teachers have on us and how we think. But please understand, especially when it comes to spiritual things, not all learning is good because not all teaching is good. Does that make sense to you? Not all learning is correct because not all teaching is correct. Not all teaching builds up Christians in the faith. And some of you have stories, and, and they're, they're sad stories, and maybe it's your own testimony. Maybe it's the testimony of, of your child, your son or daughter, who went off to some state university somewhere, and they left, uh, graduated high school, a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and convinced that he is the son of God, and the Bible is the word of God, and they got in some kind of freshman religion class, religions of the world or something, 101, and some guy with a whole bunch of letters after his name got up and appeared to be an expert and told them that this is just a bunch of junk. It's written by men who had no clue what they were talking about. It's a bunch of myth and so forth. And, and they listened to him and thought, man, that guy sure is smarter than my mom or dad. That guy seems way smarter, way smarter than my youth pastor ever was. You know, and I think he may even be smarter than my pastor. And he's telling me, he, I don't believe anymore. That's the testimony of a whole lot of people, isn't it? And it's very, very sad when that happens. But that's from the kind of teaching that isn't what promotes and builds up Christians in the faith. At least nine times the New Testament warns the churches to be careful of false teaching that is, that is composed, as Jesus said, of man-made doctrine. In other words, not God's, it's man's. And that promotes things like idolatry or is anti-Christ or anti-scriptural. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in that one of the signs of the coming of Christ, one way we know that Jesus' coming is soon is that churches, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, churches won't tolerate solid biblical teaching. They'll stop accepting the word of God and teaching from the word of God. And I think that's where we are right now in America. Part of it is because as a nation for generations, I think now we have been weak in churches and teaching the word of God. And, and more recently, we've become so afraid of offending some that churches are more apt to become politically correct than scripturally sound. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 and 3, proclaim the message. Paul's writing to Timothy. Proclaim, listen, very carefully, proclaim whatever message you want to say, Timothy. Is that what it says? Proclaim a message, Timothy. Is that what it says? It says proclaim what? The message, the gospel, the word of God. Proclaim the message, Timothy. Persist in it. Listen to this. Whether it's convenient or not. Then he says to him, rebuke. That means say what's wrong, 
correct, show how to go and do what's right, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they, the church, will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Something new meaning not what the church has been teaching for 2,000 years, but something new. But if teaching can be negative and can steer people away from the truth, I'm happy to say this morning that teaching can also be something very positive. And that teaching, uh, that teaching truth is the means that God has appointed, a, a, one of the great means that he's appointed to point us to the truth. And he, he shows that in the, in the entirety of Scripture. For example, God used teachers in the Old Testament. One example is Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, Moses says, Pay attention, heavens, and I, Moses was speaking, I will speak, listen, earth, to the words of my mouth, let my teaching fall like rain, and my word settle like dew. You get up in those mornings when there's been dew, you know, and it's fallen, and, and, when you, get, and you walk outside, and the dew has covered what? everything. That's what it's saying. If you listen to my words, I'm going to teach you. It will fall like rain. It will settle like dew, like gentle rain on new grass and showers on tender plants. You planted, I've, I've got some pots on my deck right now, three pots, and I've put tomato plants in them. And if it doesn't rain for a day or two, I've got a bucket of water that's catching water that comes off my roof, and I'm getting that water out, and I'm pouring in those pots because they're tender, and they need to be watered. That's what the teaching of the Word of God is to be like in your life and my life, like, like that plant absorbing that, that rain and that dew. Later in Israel's history... They plunged into idolatry because they, they forsook God. They left God. They left his word. They did their own thing. And then a man, a king, a good king by the name of Asa came along, and he began to destroy all the idols that had been built up in Israel. It tore them all down. And the main reason for their falling away, it says it very, very clearly in Second Chronicles 15.3, for many years Israel had been without the true God. And without a teaching priest and without the law, they left God in their past. Nobody stood up. None of the priests stood up and says, here's what God says. Nobody did it. They were without the law. They did their own thing. They were in bad shape because of that. God would later, he would indict their priests for not teaching the truth, the word of God. When he said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What is a lack of knowledge? There's another word that we use for lack of knowledge. It's the word ignorance. My people are destroyed because they're ignorant. He didn't, wasn't saying my people are unintelligent, my people are stupid, my people are dumb. He wasn't saying anything like that. He said they've never been taught. They don't have the knowledge that comes from teaching the word of God and that has been destructive to them. God used teachers in the Old Testament. Jesus was a teacher. Teaching, uh, teaching was an important part of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, he did a lot of things on those, in those three and a half years of his ministry. He did miracles. He engaged people one-on-one. And he taught. The, the great, one of the great examples of his teaching was the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the beginning, before he goes into the Beatitudes and everything else that's in those three passages that comprise that sermon, it says very simply, Jesus sat down and taught his disciples. He taught them. That was so important to, to his ministry. At least 59 places in the Gospels, 
mention Jesus in the act of teaching. 41 times in the Gospels, he's addressed. People called him teacher. Or since some of the older, the, the way some of the translations say it, rabbi. But that means teacher. That's how he was addressed. He was called teacher. So it's no surprise that as he gives these last instructions to his disciples, this great commission that says, here is our calling on this earth, that he says, be sure to teach them. Be sure to teach them. Yet even the master teacher, Jesus, can you believe this? The greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had disciples leave him because of what he taught. They left him. Where does it say that, Rick? In John chapter 6, verses 60 and 66. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, he he just got done teaching something, and it did not sit well with those who were listening. We'll talk about this more next Sunday. But they heard what he was saying, and and they weren't really happy with what he had to say about some things. And they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. They left. Those crowds, the 5,000, you know, that sat on the hillside and listened to his teaching, People like they just left and never followed him anymore. Jesus was a teacher. The apostles were teachers. Why? Well, I think because they emulated Jesus, they just, all they knew was to do what Jesus did, and they saw him teaching a lot. So they, only way they knew how to make disciples, and since he told them this is what you should do, they began to teach, and the teaching ministry was born as soon as the church was born. We talked last Sunday in Acts chapter 2 about the 3,000 who believed after Peter's sermon and they accepted Christ as their Savior and then they, were, they followed him immediately in believer's baptism. And then you read on the next few verses and Luke writes, and they, these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the word there for teaching is not the verb like I'm up here teaching. It's the word, it's, it's the, the noun, which means the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' theology, the, doc, the, the, the whole Bible, if you will. Their teaching, they were devoted to that. Ten times the word teaching describes the apostles' ministry in the book of Acts. Nineteen times in Paul's epistles to the churches, he mentions his own teaching ministry or instructs other church leaders to teach. And we read what they did and we see that they taught publicly. They taught in the temple. They taught in synagogues. They taught in marketplaces. Wherever they could find crowds, they would teach. And they taught from house to house in small groups. A lot of teaching went on in the first century from the apostles. But here was the problem. As the, as the church grew, there had to be more teachers than these 12 men because suddenly the church had gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth and they were in Asia Minor and they were in Europe and probably in North Africa and they were heading east to India and so they're going to all these places and it's more than 12 men can handle. There are thousands upon thousands of Christians so as the church grew, more people began to teach and they organized new believers in all these different cities and, and they organized them into local churches. And in those local churches, the apostles appointed pastors to continue the teaching of their doctrine. So that takes us to the next point. So pastors are to be teachers. Pastors are to be teachers. Timothy 
was sent by Paul to the Corinthian church and he had him go there to continue teaching them what they what they had heard Paul teach before. That's in 1 Corinthians 4.17. Then he was sent to Ephesus later to make sure the pastors there in that church, they were having some problems. He said, I want you to go there and make sure the doctrine that they're teaching is correct, that it's true. 1 Timothy 1.3. Uh, the Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, that teaching is the way pastors are to refute those who contradict the scriptures. Somebody came up to me last Sunday not happy with the way I presented baptism and wanted to argue with me about baptism. And I, you, know how, you know how I argued with the guy? Argued, I say. You know what I kept giving the guy? Scripture. Scripture. Pastors are to refute those who contradict, Paul told, Tim, told Titus, with the Scripture. You teach the Scriptures, the elders, the pastors who work hard at preaching and teaching 1 Timothy 5.17, he said they should be considered worthy of an ample honorarium. And teaching, Ephesians 4.11 and 12, is a primary way that pastors equip or train the congregation, train the church to do ministry through teaching. To be a pastor, by the way, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, to be a pastor, a man is required to be a, quote, an able teacher. Sometimes we, in Exit Church, we teach, or every Sunday we teach in settings like this. Other times it might be one-on-one, or uh, whether it's in a discipling relationship, or correcting someone who has beliefs that aren't square with the Bible. And if you've been here a while at Nagset Church, you've had the opportunity to hear all five of our pastors get up and teach the Word Now, we're not all five of us. Not all five of us are necessarily gifted teachers, but all of us are able to handle the word. In other words, we get up and we speak it and we say it like it ought to be said. Some pastors have teaching as their primary responsibility. In Nagset Church, that would be me. And and here it's important. At Nagset Church, if you're new to our church, if you're our guest, please understand teaching the word of God is really, really, really important to us. Um, It's something that we practice and something that we do. It's very dear to our church life. And we spend time in the Word every Sunday being taught. It's interesting, as I had my class last Sunday, uh, the Discovering Life class, for those who have been attending and say, I want to find out more about Nagset Church to see if this is where I want to plug in. And, and I asked them the question, okay, tell me how, number one, tell me how you came to Nagset Church the first time. What brought you here? And you have all kinds of answers for that. You know, I found you on the Internet. Somebody invited me. I drove by and said, that church looks really different. I want to go see what's happening in there. So you have all kinds, you know, people and and invite them and so forth. And then my other question is, okay, why did you come back? Why did you come back the next time? And there, you hear lots of things there, but one of the things that I often hear from people is they, is they said, you know, we came here and here's what we discovered. We discovered that every Sunday, Rick, whether it's you or somebody else getting up in front of us with the sermon, they open up the Bible, they read the scripture, and they explain the scripture. And that's what we need in our lives. And so that, that's one thing that we hear from a lot of people. Uh, some of us, next point, some of us are gifted teachers. Romans chapter 12 Verse 7, as Paul's going through the, the, the list of spiritual gifts, and he says, and those of you who have the gift of teaching, you ought to teach. Some of us in the church are gifted teachers. Our, in other words, our gifts, which are, are supernaturally given by God at the moment of our salvation, they're spiritual, supernatural gifts, abilities, if you will, that are given to us to help us build up the church. 
Some of us, that's teaching. And the teaching gift is given to some of us in the church, both men and women, who are able to open the word of God and explain it in such a way that others get it. That others get it. Oh, okay, I understand. It's not a natural talent. It's something God's spirit gives you to serve and minister in the church. And like all the other gifts, you may not have the gift of teaching, but you've got, if you're a Christian, you've got some spiritual giftedness. But whatever your gift is, you find your sense of fulfillment serving God and serving the church by using the gift he's given you. But there's a caution given to teachers in the church. Because a lot of times, there are a lot of people who, because of ego, they say, that's what I want to do. I want to get up in front of everybody and talk, you know? Now, there are people um, like Emily today uh, who, who they, the last thing they want to do is be in front of a crowd of people and open their mouths, all right? And, it's, and that's a, how many of you, that's you right now. If I called you up here right now, you'd rather run out the door and never come back, you know? But there are some people who say, yeah, I, man, hey, that guy, he gets everybody's attention. I'd, I'd like to do that for the wrong reason they want to do it. And, and James gives a warning to those that would desire to be teachers in James chapter 3, Verses 1 and 2, he says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers. Why? Why not? Knowing that we, we teachers, will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. Paul told Timothy how important it was in 2 Timothy 2.15. He said, Timothy, you got, you've got to correctly teach the word of truth. And that idea there is like, a, I loved, and I still love to drive through the country. Maybe it's up through Currituck County and when the, when the corn is as high as an elephant's eye. And you drive you know, through and you see the, the rows of corn. And I always love to drive by and look and see how straight those rows are. You know, always farmers always amaze me how they could do that. The idea for Timothy here about correctly teaching the word of God means plow it straight. Get it right. James says, don't let, any, don't let many of you desire to be teachers because of a stricter judgment. Why is that? Why is it so important that you get it right? Why is there going to be a stricter judgment for those of us who are teaching the word of God? And it's very simply because if a teacher gets it wrong, it can be disastrous in so many ways. It can be eternally disastrous for people. Get it right. Some of us are gifted. And if there's going to be teaching and there needs to be teaching because Jesus said teach them for teaching to make a difference a number of things need to be taking place right first of all the teaching has to be reliable has to be reliable and the only reliable teaching that builds up disciples that builds the church is teaching that opens up the scriptures to us God's truth is what we need. What a great thing happened 500 years ago when a thing called the Reformation took place over in Europe and it enabled people to begin to get their own copies of the Word of God. The printing press was, was invented during that time. And the Bible began to be spread and people began to have for themselves their own copy of the Bibles so they could read it for themselves and see what it really said rather than depending on one guy who had one Bible for the whole town. God wants us to open up the scriptures and the only scripture, only teaching that's reliable is that that opens up the scriptures to us because God's truth is what we need. God's truth is what changes our lives. It's what gives us hope. And the Bible is reliable. 
We say reliable teaching. It's the scriptures, the Bible, and it's reliable because it's not my word. It's not the word of the pastors. It's God's word. Paul instructed Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. He said, Titus, you need to teach, here, here were his words, sound doctrine. That means it's solid. That means it's unchangeable. That means it's proven. Teaching has to be reliable. Then teaching has to be received. And this again, and there's some no-brainers in here, but you can't, you can't be taught if you're not sitting at the feet of the teacher, if you will. You've got to be present hearing the instruction to get the, the teaching. But here's the deal. Even if I'm here, if, if I were to stop and put everybody in a frozen moment right now, boom, freeze everything, your mind, your brain, everything, and then go back and be able to go back maybe five seconds, ten seconds, a minute or two, and I said, now we're going to put up on the screen what you were thinking about while this teaching was going on. Oh my goodness. You know, what I got to do this afternoon, the tests I got to take at school this week, you know, the troubles we're having at home. I got to get my taxes done by tomorrow, and you're trying to figure all that out. Just because you're sitting here, it can go in this ear and it can come out the other ear. And if I'm not hanging on to every word and I'm, I'm either bored or I'm distracted, I'm not going to receive the teaching into my heart, into my soul, into my mind, into my intellect, where it can make a difference. And if I don't receive the teaching God has provided for me, here, get this. Write this down in your notes. It's not on the screen. If I'm not receiving it, I'm rejecting it. Did you get that? Either I'm receiving it or I'm rejecting it, whether consciously or unconsciously, I am not accepting the word of God if I'm not focused in on it. So it's got to be received, then teaching has to be relevant. And here's what that means, very simply. That means there's something in the teaching of God's word that's going to connect with my heart, with my life, with my interests. What I mean by relevant is this. It cannot be purely academic. It's great to be able to stand up here and say, and here's what the historical background was to, to this story. I love listening to that. I love hearing those kind of things. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me for, for a teacher to get up and say, here's where something really interesting. The Greek word here means, oh, I love that stuff. But I've been to churches, one church in particular, where the teaching was purely academic. There was no application to my life. It was filling my head with a lot of knowledge, but it wasn't changing my heart. There's none of that going on. It cannot simply be academic. It's got to be applied. It's got to be relevant. Have you, have you ever sat through a sermon? And I know some of you have because you, you come up and talk to me afterwards and say, Rick, were you following me around this week? Because it seemed like everything you said today was, it was like I'm the only person in the room and you're talking right to me. You ever had that happen to you? Yeah. What does that simply mean? That means that the word of God is relevant to your life. It means it's been applied to your life. It always happens when the Bible's taught because the Bible, I don't have to make this book relevant, by the way. It's the most relevant book in existence. It talks about every aspect of my life, and yours too, found in the pages of this book. And the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and he'll couple it with good teaching, and he will reach my heart with it. Teaching then has to be repeated. It has to be repeated. It has to be said over and over. We learn by repeti repetition. There's an old Latin phrase that says in English, repetition is the mother of all learning. 
We hear about how does that work? You've heard, maybe you've heard this term, muscle memory. Have you heard that term, muscle memory? That's what happens when a movement is repeated over time. And when that movement in your body is repeated over time, then a long-term muscle memory is created for that task, eventually allowing that task to be performed without conscious effort. Some of you guys can change the channel on your remote without thinking about it. All right, you don't even have to look at it. When I was in 11th grade, I took typing class in school. How many of you remember typing class, okay? You young people, this is before computers, okay? We took typing class, and every day in typing class, we would sit there in front of that typewriter, and the teacher would say, open up the book to so-and-so, and begin to, and you would begin, and you start out learning where all the letters are on the keyboard, and you work practicing them. Maybe you see you're going through it. And after a while, here I am... How many years? Nearly 50 years later. Nearly, not that long, please. 45 years later. I can sit down, you, you might be amazed at this, but I can sit down at a keyboard, at a computer, at a typewriter, and if you just tell me what to type, I can type it and not look. Close my eyes. You know, I'm always fascinated by those people, and you go into places, and you see the guy there with the computer, and, and, uh, and he's hunting and pecking. You know, and I'm thinking, dude, you know, <laughs> what is that? That's, that's muscle memory. All right. I don't have to consciously think, where is the X? My ring finger goes down to the X. All right. Bottom row. I know that. I don't have to tell myself that. I've memorized that. And that's true of spiritual truth as well. As the teaching is repeated, our brains and our spirits learn it. And when it's in my head and it's in my heart, I'll begin to live it. I'll begin to do it, whatever it might be. Maybe. Maybe. That's because teaching has to be rehearsed. Has to be rehearsed. Now, when I say teaching has to be rehearsed, I'm not saying, you might be thinking, wow, Rick, do you get up and preach this sermon throughout the week two or three times so you get it right on Sunday? And the answer is, is probably pretty obviously no. You know, <laughs> I, I practice at nine and <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that's not what I mean. Teaching is rehearsed. By rehearsed, I mean we haven't, here, this is maybe the most important thing said today. We have not learned it until we live it. I can know everything, I can tell you a whole lot about this book, but if I'm not practicing it, if I'm not rehearsing it in my life, I haven't learned it. The fruit of teaching is when what is taught becomes part of the learner's life, and until it's put into practice, get this, until, until it's put into practice, until it changes my behavior, I have not learned a thing. Right? has to be rehearsed. And then teachers have to be reproduced. As I said, those original disciples, those 12, they, um, I mean, the gospel began growing, but not only did that, that happen, but they began to, have you ever, do you realize this has happened in your life and mine? We are running out of time every day. Mr. Beecham told me as I welcomed him when he came in this morning, I told him happy birthday. His birthday was last week. He said, I made it to 80, you know? Every day that goes by, what I have left is less, time-wise. 
And these disciples, by the end of the first century, none of them were alive. Well, who continued the teaching? How in the world is it that we sit here 2,000 years later and we're still opening up the books the books, and we're still reading the same scriptures and we're still talking about them and still teaching them? How has that happened 2,000 years later? And the answer is because teachers have been reproduced over the generations. And that has to continue. That has to go on. They invested their lives into others, instilling in in these others people like Timothy and Titus who learned from Paul and and a man by the name of Apollos who was a gifted preacher, but he was a young believer. He did not know much about the gospel. And then he met a married couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And Acts Acts 18.26 says that Aquila and Priscilla explained the way of God to him more accurately. They reproduced into him. See, once it's learned, then we can begin to teach others. Paul instructed Timothy, who was a younger man, a man that Paul had discipled himself. He instructed Timothy to reproduce himself in other men who wanted to be disciples. And he said it this way in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Timothy, what you have learned, what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to take those things, and I want you to commit them to faithful men. Don't waste your time on guys that are not committed. Did you get that? I want you to commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's, there's four generations there. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and those others also. Right there, you have four generations reproducing teachers. We need to reproduce teachers if we're going to accept this great commission. The cycle continues. And here's the great part of today's message. And some of you are saying, that's great. I'm glad I'm not a teacher. Oh, yes, you are. All of us are called to be teachers, to teach others. How's that? Well, our earliest teachers of God's truth ought to be our parents. If you're a parent or grandparent, you're a Christian, you have a responsibility before God to instill the word of God, into the lives of your children to teach your own children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we've seen wonderful evidence of that truth today with these children. We've had, I think, four or five, one a senior in high school down to some uh, seven-year-olds today, plus an adult, but we've seen these kids who've been taught by their parents and their parents' teaching, and this is what we believe at Nag said, church, you parents, you're the number one teachers in your family to your children, but we want, what we want to do on Sunday mornings is reinforce what you've been teaching at home. So these children, they've been hearing it from mom and dad, and they've been, they've been reinforced here at church, and when they reach the age where they can grasp their own need as sinners for the Savior, they've accepted Christ. So parents, it's your duty. You're a teacher to your children Tell them about Jesus. Instruct them in the word. And may I add this? I have to add this. If you don't teach by example, if all you do is teach by words, you know, if you do the do what I say, not what I do thing, you haven't taught them. In fact, you've taught them negatively. If you don't set the example by your own life, your words will ring empty. Earliest teachers, parents, we're all called to teach others. It, you know, it doesn't take a seminary degree to teach others. And when I say teach, I don't necessarily mean in a class of some kind with a textbook. Just like evangelizing can be a simple chat with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, teaching can be simply a simple chat with a younger believer 
about something you're learning as you're growing the faith. It's when we gather together in our small groups and somebody in the group says, I did my lesson this weekend. And let me share with you what I learned. What are you doing? You're teaching. It's not structured necessarily. That's teaching. By the way, I I need to tell you this. Do you understand? Some of you don't. So let me communicate this to you. Do you understand that when you sing, as we have done this morning, that's teaching. You are teaching somebody else when you sing. So if you're not singing, you're not fulfilling this. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. Paul told Titus, 2 Timothy, or excuse me, Titus chapter 2, that in the church the older women should be teaching the younger women and the older men should be teaching the younger men. And that doesn't mean that younger women and younger men can't teach. They can. In fact, Paul told Timothy, don't let the old guys in that church in Ephesus despise you because you're younger than them. But he said to them, in, in Timothy, he said, command and teach these things. No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, till I come back and visit the church there, Timothy, I want you as, a, as in the position that you have there in that church, give your attention to public reading, read the scriptures, exhortation, apply the scriptures, and teaching, explain the scriptures. That's what you need to be doing, Timothy, as a young man. But when we, you know, as we get older, we get experience, and with experience comes wisdom, and those of us who are older need to understand. If you're old, and I'm not going to define older for you. I don't want to go there, ladies. All right? But if you're in your 20s, you're older than somebody in their teens. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you're older with wisdom and experience, you have a calling by God to teach those who are younger the things that we've been taught whether it's in a small group or one-on-one or over a cup of coffee. If you just go back and read Titus, Paul's encouragement for that man was that for the older ones to teach the younger ones. And what were they to teach them, by the way? He was very specific. Read Titus chapter 2. They were to teach them how to live like Christians, how to do what's right, how to avoid what's wrong. So we're all disciples, Christians. If we are Christians, we're all called to be disciples. We're all called to be learners. And when we begin to learn, we're all to be teaching newer, younger believers. And that's Christ's calling for you, for me. It's why we meet like this every Sunday. It's why at Exit Church, we have connection groups, small groups throughout the week. And and this year, beginning with a meeting we had back in January with about 50 of us, we've taken a big step toward putting this into reality here at Nagshead Church. And right now, our elders are making disciples who will soon be coaching others in God's purposes for our lives. And the goal here at Nagshead Church is to have every partner in this church teaching others as we see God bringing unbelievers to faith in Christ. And here's the deal. If you're part of Nagshead Church, we really want you in on this. Truly do. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for letting us witness the baptisms today. Thank you, Father, for those who have heard the gospel and you have opened up their hearts to the truth of Jesus as Savior, and they have have responded in faith, and I thank you for that. And I would pray, God, that you would help us today to take what we've heard and hopefully that we will learn and put it into practice. 
and begin to teach. We thank you that we have the word of God, that we don't have to wonder what it is we're supposed to say. And thank you that we have a church that, I'm thankful God as a pastor to have a church that says, Rick, please, we want to be taught. May we not only be taught, may we be teachers, may we learn, may we use your plan, Jesus, in the Great Commission to share this gospel with this world. In his name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 